could make sure they had enough of what they needed to get started and that they could preach the basics of the gospel. And they would begin to share that with people. Uh, and then Paul, Paul's also got ran out of town. And, and so then he would go to the next place on his journey. So he usually wasn't in these churches very long, sometimes uh, a month or two or three months. Uh, the longest one that he got to stay was two years. There with the church. And they would go on and he would repeat the cycle, and that's how the church started. And then the people that he trained, they would they started doing the same thing. And the church just started to take off all over the world. So uh, Paul is responding to questions that are happening because they're not sure exactly what the church looks like yet, because they don't have a model for it. And so Paul is helping them sort of navigate situations that arise. And a lot of Paul's letters, he's dealing with an early group called the Judaizers. Behind Paul into these Gentile areas and insisting that the Gentile converts, converts um, did uh, circumcise and follow the law. And Paul would say that's not the deal at all, and they did release that, and that was a big conflict. And I, I still get the picture, and I probably said this every week, that the, the two guys are synthetics. And uh, in, in lots of different ways, some like extreme Judaizers, and others who still uh, try and add the law. And I also said we have a tendency to try and add things to the cross, and that we have to be aware of it. Because we just sort of by our uh, process, it's not unlike us, to start to add things. Well, you, then you need to Jesus to get saved, then you also need to do this, this, and this. And the, the reality is that you need Jesus to get saved. And so they need, they need the cross. That's what they need. And these other things are plus. And we have to be looking at But that's our natural tendency. But there's, there's levels of severity that go on today. So uh, now we're moving into First uh, and Second Thessalonians, and these, these are great letters because it has to do with the return of Christ, and they have questions about when Jesus is coming back. And so Paul is trying to clear this up, and the, the real problem they have is that they've had false teachers come in and tell them that Jesus has already come back. And they're wondering how they missed out on that. And it's causing a lot of problems. In the first letter, in the second letter, they heard that Jesus had come back and persecution had started during the last days. They were all quit working. And Paul says, go back to work. Because you read that, he says that if you don't work, you don't eat. That's exactly what he says. And uh, he says, what? And anyway, he's dealing with a situation. So, um, straight up. So, as you read, um, both these letters, you need to know, but really the, the main issue there, and he talks about you know, living holy, but the main issue is about the return of Christ. And interestingly, in, in the last 30 years or so, there have been a number of um, people who have claimed that Jesus is coming back in a number of groups. And it's, it's happened in, in our lifetime several times, and in pretty, um, pretty significant ways. Obviously, it didn't happen. I agree with you. Oh, probably 10 years ago, and there was a guy who was convinced that there was some fairly well-known radio teacher at the time who had said this is the day when it's coming, and all his, he had a pretty good following. Uh, and he said, you know, it's time to be ready to get rid of all your worldly stuff because this is the day he's coming back, and you won't hear your stuff. And so this guy was convinced that it was happening, and, and uh, so we were having this discussion. And so, so now, so you're going to hear me get sarcastic, and I apologize, but sometimes it happens. Um, because he was there telling me about it, and I was telling him, you, you, no one can find it. You, 
You can't know the day. Because the Bible says, nobody knows what they're talking about. Uh, and I'll explain why that's true in just a minute. I'm not trying to explain it again. But he had this really nice bicycle. So I said, well, you're not going to need that until today. Can I have it? <laughs> Now, he wants to go park some places. But, uh, I said, why not? You don't need it. But, but, uh, that was a second. So, uh, patient, that was a second. Here's why we know we don't know today. Because, uh, it's tied into a very interesting Jewish tradition. When, um, that's who was, uh, the wedding and the research. So we're waiting for the bridegroom to come back, right? Jesus is the bridegroom. And in fact, at the Last Supper, when like, all of the sharing of the wine glasses going on, he's, he's following a Sabbath uh, meal, uh, a Passover meal, to the, to the letter, uh, until he gets the, the third cup. You know, we have this cup for the Passover. We always have cups for the third communion. Sanctification, uh, place, and then redemption. Well, when Jesus takes the third cup, he changes the Passover uh, routine completely. What he does is, he in effect is uh, making a proposal. So let me tell you how that all works. In, uh, in the, the custom of the day, when uh, a young Jewish man uh, saw a young Jewish woman that he would, he would want to be with, to marry, or his parents had arranged something, and that never happened often, but that's the case, um, he would go to the, the male, the, the potential group would go to the house of the potential bride, and uh, they would. Then we would prepare to break some sort of deal. Uh, and then the young man would produce a wine glass and some wine that he would have brought with him. And, and he would take his, his wine glass and he would put his wine in his wine glass and they would set it on the table. And the potential bride would come into the room and, and she had a choice that so was never forced on her. And if she felt like this was a, you know, what God wanted, this was good, she would take from, he would, she would pick up his wine glass and she would drink from the cup. And from that moment, they were, in effect, technically, they were betrothed for marriage. And, and yet, uh, the next step in that process would be that the potential groom would then go back to his father's house. And the way they all did back there, they lived in the, these houses, they just keep adding on to the houses for each new uh, couple that was going to be added to the house. They just built a new wing, so to speak, around the usually a big courtyard, and, and they would add a space. So the potential groom would leave, and he would go and prepare a place for them. And, and so he, they would go and prepare a place, and then the, the groom would work on the potential group would work. They were already into the group, so they would go, and he would go. And when, when he was completed, uh, was up to the father. So only the father could say, okay, the place is ready now, you can go. Because the, the groom would generally be in sort of a big hurry to have his bride. And, and so, you know, he would run back to the house and throw, uh, you know, some straw down and a little, and a little you know, sleeping bag or something and say, come on, baby, we're good. And uh, that wasn't how it was going to work. So only the father could say, okay, the place is done, go get your bride. And then the, the groom would go, and, and the bride would be waiting, but this, that process usually took like years. But, but she would have to be waiting. She would have to be ready because part of the, the whole ritual was they would generally come back in the night like a surprise. And they would blow uh, a trumpet or shofar. And they knew that if she needed to be ready, it was kind of a big deal. And she would go with, with uh, you know, her, her, the people who were with her, the women who were with her, and the groom would come and take her, and then they would go and get married. And then there was a 
78 weeks that took place of the blood of John. So that's the thing. So if you know that, when you read the scripture, all sorts of things in scripture start to make sense. Because what happened is, at the back end of the Passover, when Jesus takes that cup, that third cup, he changes everything and he uses that wedding language. And in effect, what he's doing is, he takes his cup, it's a picture of the bridegroom proposing to the bride, which is represented at that point in time by the disciples for the church. And when they partake of that cup, it's accepted. They're accepting on our behalf that that's opportunity to yield to us. And, and the, the price, you know, so there was a bride price, and Jesus said, pay the bride price of the garden. This is Gethsemane on the cross. It's a significant price he's paying. But he goes, and then you know what he says. He says, look, he says, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And, and then, then I'm going to come back and get you at some point. Remember him saying that? So I'm going to go and prepare a place for you in my father's house and many rooms. So this, this whole thing is happening, this whole marriage ceremony. So he's gone to uh, prepare a place. And he's going to come back. But who tells him when to come back? The father. And it's not yet, it's not really that thoughtful. You can't find it anywhere. You can see just the way it works. You know, somehow in the amazing concept of the Trinity, uh, we're waiting on the Father to tell Jesus to come and get us. And when he comes back, he sounds the trumpet. And all of us who are ready go to meet him. And it starts the beginning of this feast of the, the wedding that we go to, right? So when, when people start to talk about days and days in the Lord, they cannot know. They cannot know. Just say, you don't know that. Because it's not for us. And it's not there for us to discern. And we're not going to figure it out. We're not going to ask the art. Uh, and Bible, numerology, and anything else, kind of is. So um, when people say that, you can always say that kindly. You just tell them it's not going to happen. But I remember another time when we had it, we had people who were so mad at me for the calendar. The English calendar that flip-flopped a few years, a few years, ran out. Remember that? There was a big deal. And I said, it's not a big deal. It's a calendar. It just resets itself. What happened to your calendar? runs out every year. You don't freak out. It's a new calendar. <laughs> so that was my sarcasm again. And I said, it's not. They don't know. They didn't know. You know, I have a lot of sarcastic comments. But uh, that's the reason why you can rest in the fact that only the Father knows. And, and you will clearly know when Jesus is coming back. You won't miss it. We live ready when he comes back. He comes back and comes down. The things happen. So how does it happen? What happens? Well, that's a great question. So let's look at First Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. And I'll give you some of my opinions on it, but you don't really know what's going to happen. Brothers, sisters, Verse 13, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep, for it grieves like the rest of them who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring to Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. So that's a pretty cool picture, right? So, I come to town. Uh, we're we're going to be, uh, we're going to call up together uh, with them in the clouds to, to meet the Lord in the air. So he's coming for us, and there's this, this catching up that's going to take place. Now, the term that's generally used for that is rapture. Uh, and, and yet, what people struggle is that term is not actually in the Bible. Rapture is the term that's in the Bible. It's that idea of being caught up in 
So they, they think of that terminology. And then uh, it's the meaning of that. And so um, those who fall asleep is a New Testament uh, description from the good day, those who die. And, uh, and, here, and some people will differ about what I'm about to say. That's okay. This is a side thing. So if you don't lose your sleep with as long as you have the main thing, you can do against it. So um, the sleep there is not a sleep of the soul. I firmly believe what happens is, is when, when, you, when you physically die, you, you, your soul immediately goes to be with Jesus. There's no waiting period. Some people think that there's a waiting period um, for, for various reasons. But uh, in 2 Corinthians 5.8, Paul said, We're confident and, and, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. He says to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So your soul um, is... is Never in that waiting period. Your soul just will right to be with Jesus. Just remember, some people think we're a body with a soul, but you're actually a soul with a body. It's better to think of that. Like C.S. Lewis said that. It really helps when you think that. So you're a soul with a body, and then and then your physical body is going to die, but your soul lives on and continues with Christ, and you live on with Him forever. And then at some point, um, when when these events take place, you're going to get caught up with a new body somehow. I'm not sure how that all is going to happen. That's where things we, we can't actually. But um, the body is resurrected at some point into a glorious body. Uh, and I know I'm looking forward to a glorious body at this point. Anybody else looking forward to it? Yeah. 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 <laughs> that's going to be good. So, uh, uh, I have to think about how, how, how much I took for granted my physical body in my 20s. And uh, now in my Late 50s, I wish I had sometimes. But anyway, you deal with what you got to do. So, um, so, so that's how I feel about that. When people ask, you know, I, I, when you when you physically are no longer here, your soul is with Jesus and you're with Him forever. And at some point, and I think a lot of those events uh, happen kind of like that. Because remember, we God is out, exists outside of time. He's not confined by time. We are. Time is more for our benefit than his. So I have this feeling that when when you do pass, um, it, it's like that, and, and you're with Jesus, and your body's glorified, and all those things happen. I don't think you're going to get to the gap, not knowing what's going on. But that's an opinion. I, I could be wrong about that. But I, I don't believe it's an opinion that you go right through the Lord. I think that's an absolute, because of that verse that I read you. So at some point, uh, Jesus is going to come back. And if we're still alive when that happens, it's going to be great. Uh, just like that, can you imagine? I try and think about what that would be like in that mind. I'd like to kind of stay around for that. But I'm going to be with Jesus anytime. So, uh, so anyway, uh, and then, when does that happen? Well, let me read this. First Thessalonians 5, 1 through 4. Now, brothers and sisters, not times and dates, for you not need to write them, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like the thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on their Sunday as labor days on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not darkness, so this day, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. So, the Bible talks about this day, the day of the Lord, is when Jesus comes back. And, and this new period of the story begins. And um, God will be involved, Jesus will be involved in the world in a, in, in a different way than he has been in the past, and uh, uh, we're, we're going to engage in a period of 
time. So, when people read the day of the Lord, they think it's a day. It's not. The day of the Lord is a period of time that begins with His return and, and finishes at the end of the millennium. Yeah, so, it's the day of the Lord. You know, the scripture says that the Lord's day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. So, this thousand year period, so the millennium, is the, the actual day of the Lord. And depending on where you are in Christ, it's either the best day you can imagine or the worst day. The Bible says it that way. Isaiah 13, 9 to 11. See, the day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day, with wrath and, wrath and fierce anger, to make the land desolate and destroy the sin of the The stars of heaven and their constellations will not show their light. The light of the sun will be dark, and the moon will not give its light. I will punish the world for evil and the wickedness of their sins, and I will put an end to the arrogance of the haughty, and I will humble the pride of the wicked. So, so the day of the Lord is going to be a great and terrible day. Joel 28-32 Afterwards I'll pour out my spirit on all people Your sons and daughters will prophesy The old men will be dreams And the young men will see visions And even on my servants Both men and women I'll pour out my spirit in those days I will show wonders in the heavens And on the earth above the fire And over the smoke The sun will be turned to darkness And the moon to blood Before the coming of the great And dreadful day of the Lord And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Will be saved From Mount Zion And in Jerusalem They'll be delivered so, uh, here we have the Old Testament verses talking about this day, and it's talking about the return of Christ, and, and it's going to be great and terrible. Um, because it's both, see, that's where our mission comes in, because we want it to be a great day for everyone. That's our heart. We, we, we want everybody to become the people. That's our design. That's, our, that's why we don't get into the church and circle the wagons and just live in the sign Uh, 
I am or why I think it happened to me. But it's okay. Like I said, I have, there, there are some amazing theologians who believe in the other point. People I admire greatly, so I want to be there. So, so that's happening. And then I love that 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, and 8. This is just great. Only that they invite. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Um, that's great advice. Be joyful always. You know, we use another one of all verses here. You know, uh, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll see you again. Rejoice in the Lord always. Pray continually. That should just be something that you're doing. Giving thanks in all circumstances. And it says in, in all circumstances. Some people get confused and think it's for all circumstances. Um, some circumstances stink. You don't have to be thankful for them. Uh, that doesn't make sense. But you can be thankful in them. When you're going through hard things, it's always good to think about what you're thankful for. That's why we do that thing all the time. You're thankful for five things. I think we start every day by being thankful. It changes the way you go through the day. So if you're thankful for what's going on instead of always thinking about what's not going on, uh, things that you don't have or whatever, be thankful for what you have, and that changes the way you look at it. But we're going to do that. And, and it's actually God's will for us in Christ Jesus to be joyful, to pray continually, and give thanks. So that's what we're supposed to be doing. People say, well, I don't know how do I know God's will for my life? Well, I can tell you one right off the bat. Be joyful, always pray continually, and give thanks. And all circumstances. Generally, my other answer is live by doing and act by thinking of that. So there you go. All right, then we move into 2 Thessalonians. And the, the letter that they wrote the first time didn't settle the doubt. Because they were still concerned, because they have people constantly telling them, no, that, that Jesus has come back already, and you guys missed it, or something, and this is a big problem period, and so they won't quit working. And uh, he said this in 2 Thessalonians 2 1 through 7. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy report or letter supposed to have come from us saying that the day of the Lord had already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man who endures justice, uh, just destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or his worship, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things, and now you know what is holding him back, so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds him back will continue to do so. Until he's taken out of the way. So that's another interesting passage of scripture. And again, you know, what is this all going to happen? And they've got some bad teaching going on there in Thessalonica. And Paul uh, is saying, you, you will know when the day of the Lord comes. Now, hey, you're going to know. You're not, not going to see him. It's going to be a major event. Um, but at the same time, before those things happen, uh, there's three events that have to happen. The apostasy is the falling away of the church from believing in the gospel. Unfortunately, there's a lot of that already happening. There's, there's big chunks of the church that we need to be praying for because they moved off the gospel. And we need to pray that they come back. Um, because that's how that's an apostate church. They no longer believe in the gospel. They no longer believe it's necessary to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's, that's what it means to be apostate. And unfortunately, it's happening. But that's okay, because there's lots of places that don't believe in So, so we, that's, it's been that. The revealing of a man of lawlessness, that someone will set themselves up as Antichrist somehow a way to do it. And it will be obvious and apparent. Now, a lot of times people might go, well, that's the Antichrist, that's the Antichrist. 
Thanks for watching this broadcast from Keys Vineyard Community Church in Big Pine Key, Florida. Be sure to like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more information, log on to keysvineyard.com. We'll see you next time.